Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 391 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We did not think we'd be doing this today. The Blue Devils have a basketball game, a very important basketball game, against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in Cameron in, I don't know, like four hours or so. <laughs> and, and really, that should be where our focus is. But instead, we are here to talk about some pretty significant news that dropped today about the Duke program and specifically about Coach K. And we're going to do that. You may be listening to this after the Wake game. If so, I, I apologize. We will have an extensive uh, recap of that game coming at you very, very soon. But for now, we did want to focus on the news that Ian O'Connor of the New York Post, a very successful, very well-known um, writer of sports biographies, is coming out with a book. It will be released next week, a week from today. Um, and it's, uh, it's about Coach K. In fact, the title of it is, uh, I got to find it in my notes. What's the title? The title is. Donald and I are not helping on this. Not we're, just gonna, Where is we're just going to, we're just going to I found Jason. it. Sorry. I have so many notes. Okay. The title is coach K the rise and reign of Mike Krzyzewski. It is 384 pages long. Like I said, due out February 22nd. And, um, and by the way, Ian O'Connor is this dude knows what he's doing when it comes to writing biographies. He wrote The Captain, which is about Derek Jeter. He wrote a book about Bill Belichick being the greatest coach in the NFL. He wrote a great book about the rivalry between Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas in golf. Ian O'Connor is not a nobody. And he spoke to some 250 people. He did not speak to Coach K. He did not speak to Tommy Amaker. He did not speak to John Shire. But he spoke to 250 people who are in some way close to and connected to Coach K to write this book. So this is not him just making stuff up out of no place. And guys, let's get to the headline. The thing that has blown up everybody's phones, our Twitter feeds, everywhere out, out there is Ian O'Connor says that Duke wanted to hire Tommy Amaker as Coach K's replacement. In fact, it goes so far as to say that Tommy Amaker was offered the job, but that Coach K then called up Tommy and said to him, don't take it. You're not the right man for this. You would have to do, you know, you'd have to come here for a year and sit on the bench as an assistant coach. You don't want to do that. You'd have to move your family. Don't take this. John Shire's the right guy for the job. And that Tommy Amaker, Coach K essentially talked Tommy Amaker out of the job. And Tommy Amaker was very upset and distraught. And that Tommy Amaker turned it down. And that that's how John Shire got the job. And in fact, it's been insinuated that Coach K did all this because he thought he could control John Shire and that he would be able to keep control over the program better than if Tommy Amaker came in. All right, dudes, 
tons to unpack there. And there's a lot more about this book that we want to talk about. Donald, I'll go to you first. Can I just ask this question? Does that story hold water with you? Do you think that's accurate? No. Uh, and here's why. We actually Wait, talked You said about... no. I'll move on to Sam then. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But I, I mean, when you think about it, we actually have talked about that conversation that Coach K had with Tommy Amaker. We talked about it on this show, episode 323. If you want to go back, we talk about the Brendan Marks article that came out last summer right after Coach K announced his retirement that detailed this whole conversation. Obviously, it doesn't, it, it doesn't insinuate in that article that Tommy Amaker was told not to take the job. It was said that he was a finalist for the job and that he spoke with Coach K about it. But the whole talk about, yes, you would have to come in and be a coach in waiting. Do you want to leave Harvard to do that? Yes, you would be on the staff with, with John Shire. Do you want to do that? Yes, we would have to then demote Nolan Smith, who had just become an assistant coach a few months, a couple months prior, we would have to demote him back to another role for you to take the assistant job position. Now, do you want to do that? All those things led to it, that conversation part happened. What I don't think happened is that he was offered the job. And then coach K said, you shouldn't take this. You can't take it, turn it down. And Amaker saying, okay, I'll do it. I don't think that happened. I think that part is a little bit, but here's the thing that you know, before we go so further, Donald, I think we have to hang stop. on. This whole thing is just made up. Wait, wait, wait. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are a lot of sides to this. He said he spoke to 250 people for this, for this book. There's two people who didn't speak to coach K and Tommy Amaker. So the fact that all these people know what went on in a private conversation with Tommy Amaker and coach K, I, I don't think that holds water. It just doesn't sit right with me, especially given that he's presenting it as newfound evidence and the media is taking it as newfound evidence. When we learned about the conversation last summer and we learned about it in almost its entirety, 90% of what has been alleged in this book is already been alleged or at least having a conversation part. Yes, we think that happened. I don't think that Coach K really told Tommy Amaker, you can't come here because I think if that was the case, I feel like the committee would have known that long before any offer or any finalist took place. I think, I just think that. Yeah, so Sam, Sam, I want to let you get in, but uh, I just want to say really quickly, I agree with Donald that almost everything I've read today about this book, I'm like, yeah, I already knew that. I already knew that. The only thing that's new is this notion that Tommy Amaker had been offered the job, that Duke wanted Tommy Amaker, and that Coach K then talked him out of it and, and threw the kibosh on that. And that's what I also, I agree. I find that part implausible. Sam, your turn. I mean, given the biography that Jason just gave on on the writer here, Ian O'Connor, I don't think he's inclined to to just make up a story. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, you, you could have interpreted the conversation between Mike Krzyzewski and Tommy Amaker in different ways. The I guess the person that I'm most curious to hear from then is Tommy Amaker, because prior to the story coming out about Coach K is retiring. They've selected John Shire to replace him. And, and that whole process like took a couple of weeks of everybody being, you know, under the, the cone of silence. Um, the, the backdrop to that relative to Tommy Amaker that we've always heard is that Tommy Amaker is very happy at Harvard. He has had opportunities to leave Harvard to get back into power five, but that he's got sort of a good situation going up here in Cambridge and that he's, that he's cool with that. Uh, his wife is a professor at the university. Uh, he's, he's got this, he's got this very well-connected network now. And so why would he want to jump back into the, um, 
you know, in, into the buzzsaw that is ACC basketball. So, so that's the part that I feel like we would want to ask Tommy Amaker about, you know, to, to, to clarify here. And like, does he really feel like th- this was his job and that, and then he got basically told that he wasn't going to take it. I, I, when, when I read that story, the part that the, the, the part that makes me uncomfortable is the question about how much coach K is sort of putting his thumb on the scale as far as picking the replacement and continuing to, to run the program when he leaves. I completely understand why you would want to have the, the incoming head coach be an assistant the year before, because recruiting now happens on like a six month cycle pretty much. And so if you don't have next year's head coach already on the bench, uh, you basically can't recruit. And it's not just that you can't recruit the players who are in high school, you can't recruit the transfers and you can't recruit, let's admit it, the players who are currently on your team. So I totally right. understand the, the philosophy here. What I'm worried about is the degree to which Coach K was, you know, testing the, testing the boundaries here and the extent to which he is going to continue to be kind of the shadow CEO of the program even after he retires. That is what I'm, that's what I'm kind of nervous about. And, and I, I don't say that from the, like, I, I don't think Coach K is some, you know, I, I said shadow CEO. I don't think of him as some, like, shadowy new world order operative, you know, trying to pull all the strings and, and creating grand conspiracy theories or anything about this. Um, I just think that if you're the head coach, you're the head coach and you're running the program. It's your program. Uh, and, and if coach K is still sort of standing in the background and, and pointing out everything John Shire is doing, I am not going to love that setup. He already said he's not going to, to come to the games. And I was prepared to analyze like, all right, where's coach K sitting at the games? How close is he to the bench? How much could anybody hear him (laughs) if he starts shouting instructions or shouting at the referees or, or yada, yada, yada. Like he could, he could exert as much power as he wanted on this program, given all he's, all he's done for Duke and all he's done for the men's basketball program. And I don't think many people would, would stand in his way. Uh, He's very powerful in that regard. And, and I think what the program has to be really conscious of, next year and then and then you know in in subsequent years is how much is coach k really still running this place and how much is it just we're working to honor his legacy and 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 be the best program that we can so sam i think that part about what happens when he becomes coach emeritus if you want to say um i think those uh, you you've brought up those concerns on previous shows and i think we were going to have a longer discussion by the summer. And I think we still will, but I think that part is valid. But I also know that in the years after Dean Smith retired from UNC, he, coach K was very either behind the scenes or public is very well known. His, uh, his resistance to what Dean Smith was doing with that program and basically being the rubber stamp and saying, whatever I say goes, he brought in Bill Guthridge, Matt Doherty, Basically, he joked, but he in serious said, Dean Smith hired me, not UNC. Like those sort of things where I think Coach K is not going to be doing that. But I still think, as you mentioned, he has a lot of influence. But I don't think he is going to start out his post-coaching career by being, you know, the mysterious finger on the button in the in the room over overlooking and Schwartz Butters overlooking Kville and kind of just having the monitor at all times and kind of saying, what are we doing over here? I don't think that's going to happen. But again, I think that's a conversation we can have much, much later once this transition does take place. So Sam, I want to be clear about something. Um, when I voiced my uh, disbelief 
at, at this aspect, the fact that Amaker was offered the job that Coach K, um, you know, sort of talked him out of it. Um, I, I'm not saying that I believe that Ian O'Connor made that up. I think that there probably were sources that Ian O'Connor had that that thought things were happening that maybe weren't happening, or or that Ian O'Connor misinterpreted what he spoke to some different people about. And and Sam, you know, you sort of alluded to this. There's going to be a press conference after the Wake Forest game tonight. Coach K will discuss things with the media, and I guarantee you, someone will ask, "What's going on with this story?" It, it, and that someone won't happen. be us. Yeah, it, it will not be us, right? I will not be asking that question. It's going to be very interesting to see how Coach K responds to it and what he says, because even though the book is about a lot more, uh, that's going to, be the, going to be the question that's asked. You know, did you did you undermine the committee, Coach K? And and, and the last thing I do want to say, and I'll let you guys jump back in. Um, I'm, con- I'm the reason I'm concerned about this. And one of the reasons I think we're on the on a call right now discussing this, and one of the reasons I think this matters is I think all this serves to undermine John Shire just a little bit. It makes it look like John Shire wasn't the choice for Duke University. It makes it look like John Shire is Coach K's puppet, you know, or that Coach K is secretly controlling things. It makes it look like John Shire maybe didn't deserve the job, that someone else should have gotten it first. And I don't like any of those things because everything we've seen so far is that John Shire does deserve this job, and John Shire's done a great job so far with the transition. And I think, I think there's a great chance that John Shire is going to be fabulously successful. So I hate that this is going to cloud, you know, his early days on the job. And honestly, like John Shire has earned it. I mean, just the recruiting class that he's built without literally coaching a practice yet. Like he's doing that on his own. I will say this, the last thing I have to say about this right now, Tommy Amaker is what we call a grown ass man. That man is 56 years old. If you think that Tommy Amaker is turning down the biggest job he could ever get in his entire life at age 56 because someone told him not to like that is not that is not the case he probably in the end decided it was not it was not best for him to leave harvard or for whatever situation but i am not going to believe that a 56 year old man was told yo you can't take this and he just went there and said nope uh, okay that's fine i won't do it that man has a family that man has a career that he has built on his own too and i think that he has earned the right to take this job if he was offered the position just like anybody else but I do not think he turned it down because just because someone told him not to. To my earlier point, though, like I can completely envision this. Like if, if Coach K really wanted this to be this way, he absolutely has the power to poison the whole well here. Uh, by but, but wouldn't telling- but Sam? Wait, wait. Wouldn't if Coach K really wanted it to be Shire, not Amaker? Would Coach K have let? the process reached the point where Amaker was offered the job. That's what I find unbelievable. If coach that's, really wanted right. this, and, he and would that's have stopped the, it. And that's the confusing thing. And, and, and the part that like, look, we're just never going to get that, that knowledge about how the whole, like the process happened. I know Brendan Marks wrote the whole story about it. Um, but you know, it, 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 we're it's not always, details. it's yeah. always a little after the fact. Um, we're not going to see everybody's emails that, you know, Coach K sent to Nina King and that Nina King yep. sent to John Jackson. Like all of that level of detail is lost to history. No one's going to know that. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, you know, I, I don't want to speculate too much. It is possible that that Coach K said, yes, athletics department, go run the search, do, you know, do whatever process is laid out. Nina King, this is not the first time that you've hired a coach and, and you sort of know how this works. Just go do it. 
Um, and then as it gets down to it, he, he reaches into his feelings and realizes what he really wants uh, as far as his succession plan goes. Not, you know, maybe on specifically on the personnel, maybe on the process, what have you. So uh, I, I don't know that it's impossible. Uh, uh, Ian O'Connor then sat for a, an interview with, with Brendan Marks that came out just a few minutes ago that had, I, I think the tone of which was, look, we'd, in in Ian O'Connor's words, I I like admire Coach K. He's obviously one of the greatest coaches in American sports history. And and he's earned a lot of leeway in terms of the legacy that he's leaving. Um, And and the book is not meant, I think that the the way the news came out today, it's sort of read like, the book is meant I because this was like the story that everyone highlighted and that and that the New York Post wrote about was like, oh, well, this is going to be like a hit piece on Mike Krzyzewski. That is not the case. The book, as far as like the summary that I've read, is not a hit piece on Mike Krzyzewski. It highlights the good and the bad from his career. And there are bad points in his career. There are, there are you know, there's a lot of evidence that like he doesn't, he, he doesn't have the nicest mouth. He is, he is capable of saying mean things to people. He obviously played and coached under, under Bob Knight. It is not like he has you know, the, the, the rosiest approach here. So we all know that we have known that for a long time. Um, how much he did that in this specific instance, I think is, is something that we will probably just keep speculating about into the future. As far as like the health of the program and, and the, the people involved here, what I hope is that Tommy Amaker and that John Shire and that the assistants who are still there and will continue to be there next year, feel like they're all empowered to do their jobs correctly. Uh, and that no one was sort of cheated out of a, a, a uh, an opportunity or a promotion that they thought that they deserved. Uh, and, and hopefully that is all on the up and up. Maybe we'll get to talk to Tommy Amaker about this at some point. Maybe we'll get to talk to John Shire about this at some point, but, um, but the story is fascinating either way. Yeah. And, and by the way, Sam, I'm really glad you pointed that out. I had in my notes, one of the things I wanted to say was that the Brendan Marks article with Ian O'Connor folks go to the athletic, get your athletic subscription, read what Brendan Marks had to say, because uh, it, it, he makes it very clear that this book everyone's talking about the succession story, but the book is about so, so much more. The book starts out with a lengthy anecdote about Coach K's close relationship with a guy that he coached at Army. It's not even only about Coach K at Duke. It's about Coach K at Army. It's about Coach K's relationship with Bobby Knight. There's a ton of stuff about his relationship with Bobby Knight. Um, It's about his entire career, everything that it took to make him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Talks a lot about 1995, when Mickey Krzyzewski stepped in and forced Coach K to take time off because Coach K was literally going to kill himself. Ian O'Connor had started working on this book before Coach K announced his retirement. That, that's important to note here. This is not a book that's hastily put together as Coach K is retiring. It's a book that's been in the process by a great sports biographer for a very, very, very long time. And, and so it, it is a pity that the New York Post and other folks who are writing headlines today are latching onto this one thing that looks nefarious and tricky and all this other kind of stuff, because that's not what the book is at all. I think it's a book that Duke fans will probably really enjoy. Oh, we know why they're doing it, though. Clicks, they're trying to sell clicks, newspapers. Clicks. You got to generate clicks. the hype. They're trying to get clicks. Yeah. And, and there and, is going to I be, mean, that's what it is. There is going to be a lot of Coach K content coming out over the next few months. Like, we're just going to keep talking about him, and, and maybe we'll decide to do our own retrospective but everyone is going to be doing a coach k thing uh in the next few months so you gotta you gotta get the people interested in your take absolutely and they're gonna i mean they're making it where this is gonna be again this is the story jason you mentioned how it kind of undermines john shire and i agree with you there it also undermines kind of this season like 
this season was supposed to be about coach K's final ride. That's not, you know, his final. And now people are like, well, is he really, is this really his final ride? Or is he just going to be coached again next year, just from an office somewhere deep in the bowels of Duke university? I think that does a disservice to the players that are on this team as well. It does a disservice to the coaching staff and it does a disservice to Tommy Amaker as well, because I'm sure Tommy Amaker is sitting there like, why am I in it? Like, why not? Like, why y'all, why y'all putting my name in the street? He was out there doing his job, and now he's like front page on the New York Post because of some conversation that allegedly happened. I, I think that's that's unfair for everybody. Yeah. So with that, we're gonna put this this story behind us for the moment. We actually have some more news we want to talk about. We're gonna take a quick break, but quick break. But when we come back, the schedule, next year's schedule, we're getting some details, and it's really exciting. That story coming up. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings... Increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. All right, guys, we're back from the break. By the way, you know what I realized, gentlemen? I realized we never introduced ourselves at the beginning. Like, I was so into this. I was like, I never said, I'm Jason, he's Donald, he's Sam. Not that we need to. After 391 podcasts. Jason, Jason, (laughs) Yeah, I use the word allegedly. Like, you know, everyone knows that's Donald. I'm the lawyer here. Allegedly, that's that's less lawyer talk. That's me. (laughs) So, uh, So we are Jason, Sam, and Donald, and we're here to preview Next season schedule. Seems crazy to be talking about that right now, but Duke announced today that they are taking part next year in the Phil Knight Legacy event. Phil Knight, of course, the multi-billionaire who founded um, and built Nike into the behemoth that it is. Uh, A couple of years ago, they had one of these events where they got 16 different top-tier teams, all of them Nike-sponsored teams. They broke them out into two eight-team brackets, and and it was a really great tournament. Uh, Folks, you may recall that it's a tournament that ended with um with duke i think duke had three comeback wins we beat florida in the championship game like we were down in every game and we just came back out of nowhere and 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 destroyed these teams it was a lot of fun so duke is in this tournament again on one side you know they're like i said they're two 18 brackets duke's bracket consists of are you ready for it 
it's a really good bracket. Here are the teams that Duke will be playing in the Phil Knight Legacy event. Florida, Oregon State, Portland State, Purdue, West Virginia, Xavier, and Gonzaga. Duke and Gonzaga heading up this bracket. That's going to be a huge deal next year. Really exciting. By the way, the tournament also features a, a women's bracket. There'll be four women's team competing, Duke, UConn, Iowa, and Oregon State which is really cool for our Duke women. Getting to play UConn is always special. And by the way, I mentioned it's a, there are 16 teams. The other side, now Duke will never play any of these teams, but the other side of the, of the thing, the Phil Knight Invitational, is Alabama, Iowa State, Michigan State, UNC, Oregon, Portland, UConn, and Villanova. How did two Big East teams get in the same bracket? UConn and Villanova, they could conceivably play each other in that tournament, which is kind of weird for a preseason tournament. But anyway, the exciting thing is, you know, potentially if they make it there, Duke, Gonzaga again next year, potentially games with Florida, Purdue. Purdue, by the way, could be a top five team again next year if, if some guys come back. West Virginia. I mean, this is really exciting. This is Thanksgiving week in, weekend in Portland. Donald, have you got your tickets yet? I have not, um, but I, I think this is a very <laughs> intriguing thing. I will say, I, I know we'll talk about the men, but I want to start with the women because, first of all, I think this is a huge, huge uh accomplishment for Kara Lawson and her team to be recognized by being a part of this tournament alongside, especially alongside Connecticut. Um, I, I think everyone wants to play UConn. They're the gold standard of women's basketball, even in recent years as they've kind of declined somewhat. But I, I think when it comes to Duke women, they have a great shot to really introduce themselves to the national stage. They've had a couple of opportunities this year playing South Carolina Day, and they featured fairly well, even if they did lose. But this is a tournament that's going to have a lot of eyeballs in it, particularly on the men's and women's side. It, and because UConn's in it, there'll be even more eyeballs from the women's side of things. So I think this is a huge, huge accomplishment to be a part of this field. And I'm really glad that both the Duke men and the Duke women will be a part of this. I'm really excited to uh, see Duke playing in this tournament uh, against against the likes of Gonzaga. I'm I uh, I think that the the field is a lot of fun for Duke. It's not just that Gonzaga is there. Purdue, who is one of the best teams in the country this season, Florida, who's been very good in recent years, um, Xavier, West Virginia. These are all these are all big names in college basketball. And the other side is nothing to sneeze at either. It's not you know it, it's North Carolina, but it's Villanova. Uh, it's a number of other of other great programs. So I, I don't know how. Uh, how interesting it is that Duke got selected for this. Duke is is if not the yeah, most it was a prominent <laughs> Nike program, right? If it's if it's not North Carolina, it's Duke, uh, and and so it's pretty cool that that Duke keeps getting invited to this. I need to look at at uh, if, if I can. I, I didn't make it to Vegas this year. I didn't make it to to Madison Square Garden this year. I feel terrible about both of those decisions. So maybe I can figure out how to make it out to Portland uh, for uh, for Thanksgiving next year. I'm gonna figure out a way. Uh, my issue is that is literally right when the World Cup starts. It is also right around the time I turned 40. Uh, so my present to myself was going to the World Cup. Uh, come on, U.S., please qualify. Um, but if I can figure out a way to make a stop in Portland on the way there or on the way back for this tournament, I will do so. Only Donald, who lives on the East Coast, would think of stopping in Portland on his way to the Middle East. <laughs> hey, you got to get those freak of flower miles. Gotta, it's, just, it, it's, it's just out of the way. Just a little bit. Hey, guys. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. I saw a great thing on Twitter today. And I think I, I want both of you to turn your mics on because I want to capture your reaction. Today My is a special anniversary. Your microphone is on. Your microphone is on. Good. Today is a special anniversary. 
19 years ago today in 2003, Dante Jones committed murder on a basketball court. 19 years ago mm -hmm. today, he, he destroyed Nick Vanderland of Virginia mm. in a basketball game and then did push-ups to mm -hmm. celebrate the fact that he had committed murder. Guys, yep. I mean, like, greatest plays in Duke history. This is up there, isn't it? This is top three for me, and it ain't three. I was going to say, Donald needs to talk about this first because this is, this is salient for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, th this, this play, I remember being in the dorm watching this game. I remember the next day, everybody, honestly, that night, everyone just, you know, having adult beverages and doing push-ups. I, I think we are the most fit campus uh, that Duke has ever seen uh, in celebrating and mimicking that celebration for months to come. And literally every time Dante did a dunk the rest of the year, everyone in the crowd would just kind of be like fake, fake doing push-ups in the stands because that, that was, again, 19 years ago, and it's still one of those things that everyone knows that dunk, everyone remembers that dunk, and everyone will never forget it. The, the, the push-up is in standard def, so you know that it's old, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I, I have like a vague memory of it. I'm, I'm in high school at this point, so uh, the, the, the memories are not as seared in for me as as they became once I was in college and once I was like seeing most of these games in person but um man does that highlight get you hyped up uh I I like it it, it shows up in every in every highlight package that the program puts together uh no matter how far back they're going with those videos so I, lo I love that it, it's the push-ups that make it I mean like it's a great dunk you see great dunks all the time but the fact that he and lands was, and, and, and this is also the push-ups don't forget, this is also before Duke was like was like cool, right? Duke has Duke right. Duke's brand mm -hmm. as a basketball program has really changed over the last like 10, 12 years, like pretty much since Kyrie Irving showed up. Yeah. Um, this is still when Duke are like firmly the nerds. And uh and Dante Jones was just not that. <laughs> no. <laughs> also, with regards to this dunk, just in the scheme of college basketball, there are a few dunks that I've ever seen that are way that are more disrespectful than this like he did push-ups <laughs> over a man's body i mean there is strong camp doing the point that's that's easily most disrespectful of all time i also link up there Shaq dunking on chris deadly and just casually just throwing him like three feet into the stands yeah um, Shaq was good at that the, was at good ragdoll the or or uh, a, not, not a dunk but iverson step over um over teron lu and also um uh scotty pippen dunking wait the kemi mutombo's th uh finger wag when he blocks a shot is pretty disrespectful. Yeah, but I, I mean, but he used to do that to the crowd for the most part. It was more like entertainment. But this is like, yo, I dunked in your face. Like Scottie Pippen dunking over uh, Patrick Ewing and then literally walking over him. That is disrespectful. But after those things, Dante Jones is easily one of the most disrespectful dunks I've ever seen in my life. Probably the most disrespectful I see in college. And the fact that he didn't get a technical is as big as a compliment. That's incredible. In the By the thing. way, I, wait, I was just going to say that. The fact that he did that and did not get... He would have been tossed out of the game if it was modern. He would have been tossed twice in this, in this day and age. Yeah, <laughs> he it, it, it would have been just ugly. Guys, Donald, Sam, thank you for joining me. Everybody else out there, thanks for joining us. Episode 391, Go Blue Devils, Beat Wake Forest tonight, or if you're listening to this tomorrow, Beat Wake Forest last night, whatever the heck it may be. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason, and here's the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. So here's the goal. We're going to go through this and I'm because I'm not going to have a lot of time to edit, but I want to edit when we're done. I'll host. Um,
no mess ups. If you mess up, if you cough, hiccup, whatever, shit's going in there. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you ready, Sam? Let's do it. All right.